0: Welcome to the Femi Pod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from, and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen, and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. to the FemiPod. This week we have another incredible guest, the amazing Nike athlete Katrina Bissett, represented Australia at the Tokyo Olympics this year. She is the Australian record holder over 800 metres, running an incredible 158.09, but most importantly is a huge advocate for mental health and inspiring everyone, females, males and non-binary, to speak up and be vulnerable with their stories. Trina has had a super interesting journey in both her running and non-running life. And we are so excited to share this with you all today. Trina, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. I know you're super busy. Welcome to the FemiPod. How
1: are you going and how's training? Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, yes, I'm going really well. Training's going really well. Yeah, it's been an adjustment coming back from overseas. And then, yeah, and yeah, so I had a change of code and every there's just like a whole bunch of changes that I've made post Olympics and I feel like the Olympic year is always very intense in a lot of ways positive and negative negative. and yeah it's always a sort of year of change and a year of new experiences and so I feel like I'm just processing a lot of <laughs> that, that European experience and the and the Olympic experience and and then yeah it's that sort of reflection period as well where it's like all right, I've got three years until Paris. What am I going to do differently? What worked well? And yeah, so I've sort of jumped into a new training environment and and it's going really well. And yeah, it all sort of that product of... the the big year (laughs) I feel like I tried to summarize so much into that really basic question yeah well
0: it would have been a pretty crazy Olympics in itself like very much not a normal Olympics
1: for you no yeah it was I think the hardest part was just not having well I mean just doing it pretty much totally solo because like I was away for like eight weeks before the Olympics racing and I've never done like a proper European circuit. And then to do it completely alone, I didn't have a coach, I didn't have any training partners, I didn't have my my partner with me. Um, so it was just like I it was a lot. It was a lot for me to sort of go through um by myself. And then yeah, and then obviously at the games themselves, having the Australian team, but not really having any of my, you know, my own personal support group, like not having my parents or you know, my coach there um, was, yeah, that was probably the hardest part. But I feel like all the other weirdness of like COVID and things, because I've never done, I've never done this sort of pro athlete life before. It was, I was just like, oh yeah, that seems, it's all weird and new. <laughs> That's fine. I haven't been to the Olympics before. I'm sure they're all like this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that must be really hard. Yeah, normally the Olympics, you'd have such a big support system with you, but being alone, I'm sure would have been, not quite the same experience as the previous ones, but hopefully Paris you'll have your team there with
1: you absolutely and and then, of course, like world champs and com games and stuff coming up next year it's it's all yeah you yeah you don't have to wait long for the next major to come around and but yeah i'm definitely I'm definitely excited for a different kind of major experience with um a few more a few more family members around
2: yeah, definitely. Uh, We're so excited to have you here, Kat. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Uh, Let's dive right in with question number one. Can you tell us a bit about how you got into running and how you became the fastest Australian in history, over 800 meter, that's a pretty cool title, and a (laughs) world-class athlete?
1: Yeah, so yeah I did my I sort of started running you know where everyone does like in little a's as a as a you know six seven year olds in Canberra um and so I really fell in love with running and and athletics around then like I did like all of the events I was a really good multi-event athlete I was really good at the shot put (laughs) I feel like my like my best events were like the 200 meters and the shot put when I was like an (laughs) eight-year-old Wow, heptathlete yeah. maybe. <laughs> um yeah, so I missed opportunity to become a heptathlete, but um, yeah, and then and then I got really into it in high in uh, primary school and high school and you know, it was a big part of my identity. I think a lot of kids in uh, in sport um sort of get really yeah, sort of their lives sort of revolve around their sport and that sort of thing and towards the end of high school started to really struggle I think with like the pressures of you know high performance and like I had a bit of success quite young sort of when I was 12 13 um in the sort of in the sprints and the 200 400 and I think just tried to ramp up training a bit too quickly for such a young person and you know that's when I was going through puberty and my body was changing and there was just a lot of pressures to remain thin and remain small and you know i just took a bit of a toll on my mental health and i ended up yeah developing an eating disorder and really just like stepping back from athletics entirely for a good probably you know 8 10 years <laughs> sort of around the age I stopped competing sort of around the age of 15 I think and then yeah really just focused on my uni uni work and you know I've been getting into uni my year 12 studies and that sort of thing and I'm really passionate about art and architecture so that's what I decided to do at uni um, so I moved to sydney um <laughs> this is my life story <laughs> so i moved to sydney um started i did my did my bachelor's still had a lot of trouble with uh, mental health um because i just yeah really didn't sort of address what i was going through during that time and i yeah it really took quite a while until i started seeing a professional. But. Um, sort of started seeing one seeing one in my late teens, sort of 18, 19, and then um, have continued to see a, a psychologist since. Um, yeah, and then once I graduated from from F, uh, architecture, my bachelor's at UNSW, uh, I started working full time in an architecture firm, and um, and I was still sort of like running recreationally during these few years. Um, like I always was still involved in sort of the running world. Like I did like a uni games in my first year of uni, and just like just went out clubbing, and like it as you do at that age. Yeah, I don't think I made it past the heats. So I think I like ran really badly, but so I was still sort of in touch with that world. And 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 then when I was working full time, I had a lot more, uh, you know, routine in my life, and so I started adding the running back in a bit more seriously and and um, I think just my personality like I don't like doing things kind of halfway so I kind of got addicted to it again and
2: you know addicted
1: to that self-improvement and seeing those times go down and, and so in my second year of work post uni I um, took my running a bit more seriously and started running you know five six times a week with us with the Sydney uni squad and And then uh, I decided to move to Melbourne with my partner and to start my master's um, in architecture at Melbourne Uni. And then just, yeah, serendipitously, like my coach at Sydney Uni knew um, Peter Fortune, who was my old coach in in Melbourne. And, And so then I changed groups and sort of just continuously added a little bit more I training a little bit more like gym work and you know just building those layers of uh, performance and yeah and then it kind of just snowballed a bit from there and in 2019 I had my had my breakout season and unexpectedly achieved all these things like breaking the Australian record and making my first major team and <laughs> all that stuff and yeah and then in the last and then obviously COVID happened in 2020 and That was really hard because it was like, okay, like I just had gotten my head around becoming a professional athlete and then suddenly you're like, nope, we have to be a student again. (laughs) And then, yeah, and then 2021, really, really, you know, just trying everything, trying to do the whole gamut kind of thing of of being a um, professional. And, yeah, so I feel like I'm at a stage now where it's like, I know what I have to do and I really embrace this this profession that I found myself in and I think in that first year of uh in 2019 where I had that breakout it was still very much like I didn't know what was happening I didn't know what was like I think this running was just this hobby that was just like such a part of like stability and you know mental health support and you know this sort of like it was it was more just like this very serious hobby I had and it took a lot of adjusting Mm -hmm. and then now like my relationship to running has really changed and it's like no this is my livelihood this is my passion this is my career um this is not just this crazy thing that's happened to me like this is now my life and Um, So it's been a really, it's been a bit of a a long time, but yeah, that's where I'm at now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, it's a pretty good life, I'd say. (laughs) Oh man, like everyone's like, oh, what's it like, like living your dream, being an Olympian and stuff. I'm like, I, like being an Olympian is just like part of, you know, it's never been like the goal Like the goal has always been having this lifestyle. (laughs) I want to be paid to go and train and then have a nap in the afternoon. (laughs) A dream. (laughs) dream. dream. (laughs) (laughs) What I love the most
0: about your story is that I think Esther and I have had very similar stories. We all, you know, we started sport and started running at quite a young age. And then we both have had time away from the sport. And myself personally, I definitely struggled with my mental health in my late teens. And it was running that really brought me back on to the right path and I think it's very similar to you and you know when I started back running it was very much about creating a really healthy mental health for myself um and eventually it grew from there to be a more competitive athlete mm-hmm. so sports obviously been a huge part of our lives since we were young kids what do you think it is or what do you think the impact sport had on you as a young girl
1: um i think i think when i was very young and i was first doing it it was really special to me I think especially how it connected me to my parents I like my which it was just something that I didn't really realize until quite a lot later when I was older like so like the shot put thing like that was my mom like my mom was like a high school like shot put champion in in China and like so she would teach me how to do that she would come to all my you know Saturday morning training and volunteer I mean Saturday morning at Little A's And volunteer and like I would have so many friends like outside of school through that network and my dad was a long distance runner he sort of found running a lot later sort of in his 30s and 40s Um, but I would jog with him a couple times a week or we might do like a hill session together or something like that and it would be kind of the only time that my dad and I would have this sort of really quality one-on-one time together. And, you know, that's some of my best memories <laughs> of, of my childhood is just, like, spending that time with my dad um, and going for those really long runs and having really uh, intense and long discussions about things. And um, it's interesting, like, how that those really special things sort of, yeah, they're they're also intertwined with sort of the other side of it where it was a lot of pressure I would put on myself as a very sort of shy perfectionistic kid. And when I was competing a lot and having a bit of success and that sort of thing, like I would yeah, I, I would just put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think a lot of the adults around me, even though they didn't intend to put pressure on me, I think there was a lot of Yeah, I I don't know. Just I think there there was a lot of expectations and things um, from the people around me, and I I think like my parents—they're very much like a quality time, acts of service kind of love language parenting style—and they weren't very good at talking about their feelings. And so a lot of the time, when I did really well at school, or if I did really well in athletics, um, that's when I'd get a lot of like excitement and praise and and that sort of thing from my parents around these achievements. Um, And they weren't very good at expressing, you know, telling me that I'm a good person or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Even though of course they, they didn't mean it to be like that, but yeah, I think just the combo of that sort of thing in my perfectionist personality, like I think it, it was, yeah, I think it was, it was definitely a mixture of really awesome things and then, yeah, that sort of negative side with the body image and the and the pressure and the yeah, just not really uh, being equipped as a you know twelve year old to understand these nuance um, of of sport, yeah.
2: I relate so much to what you said. I pretty much had the exact same experience when I was younger too. And the praise came when things went well and yeah. I was successful as well. So I totally relate there. Do you think there was anything that could have been done? Or if you look back now as someone sort of with an A-type personality that could have been done from like a sports side to keep you in sport? Because there's such a high rate of young girls dropping out of sport. You know, it's two times the rate of young boys dropping out of sport. And, you know, it is such an issue. Um, obviously your family is your family, but from a like a coaching side or a little A's side, what they could do differently to have kept you in sport.
1: Yeah. I mean that's a yeah, that's a really good question, but hmm, I think um I don't know. I think it was just like a real cultural issue, like um, like you know, what like you were saying before about um just sport for young girls being a really strange space like it being a lot of it is framed as weight loss or as mm. um you know not like it's it's masculine and not feminine and dainty and mm. I think yeah I think it was just a lot of like yeah that, that sort of cultural problem like there wasn't a lot of really good messages around and um do you think the competition side of
0: things scared you away a bit I just you know, we've done a lot of work with young girls and trying to figure out why the rate of um, young girls dropping out of sport is so much higher than boys. And, you know, we fall back on the idea that competition and being competitive between girls isn't necessarily something that, you know, girls are drawn towards. And I think And this is my personal opinion. I think Mm -hmm. girls have traditionally been pinned up against each other all the time in every different industry. Females are always pinned up against each other. Instead of celebrating one another, they're in competition or comparison. And I think sport, a lot of girls see sport as just being a big competition rather than just going out there and having fun and just enjoying themselves and benefiting from it individually or as a team, but rather than just always being in competition with others. Do you think that? maybe that's something that you found when you were 15 that you were kind of like didn't enjoy always just competing against other people all the time
1: yeah absolutely and and not even just like competing on the track like it was like this self-comparison thing in every single way like like I remember my coaches at the time like always talking about you know how what girls looked like and you know whether they had put on weight or they lost weight and I I distinctly remember like um, I always thought I was too big (laughs) like and I would be the one in little a's that wore the giant oversized t-shirt and the like board shorts um, instead of wearing like the briefs and the crop tops and that sort of thing and and a lot of that was because I thought that I wasn't like, small enough or tanned enough kind of thing, and I would look at these other girls, and, um, and like, they were girls. Like, they were, like, prepubescent girls. <laughs> and I would sort of look at them and be, like, um, I know my coach wants me to look like her. Like, this is, you know, this is what they think that a runner should look like. Um, and, and yeah, and it would just be, like, those little snide compliments and stuff of, you know, not not even the negative comments but well, yeah like the compliments of being like oh you know X runner looks really skinny and fit you mm-hmm. know um that I would really internalize and um yeah and, and just sort of get really that sort of yeah so so exactly what you're saying that sort of competition but in every aspect of it yeah and, and, I, and I think like 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 yeah answering the other question about what we could do better I feel like it's having and and like even connecting this to what our parents were doing it's like rewarding women and girls for things that aren't being the best or the strongest or the (laughs) fittest it's like having yeah more more ways to praise people and encourage people beyond you know objective measures um Mm. or superficial measures and and that sort of thing and and it's like yeah and I think that's all about the education around uh for coaches and and encouraging more young women like you guys into coaching and um and um yeah yeah I definitely agree like I 100%
0: am guilty for you know growing up comparing myself to other girls and it really was mostly about what I looked like compared to what they looked like and you know, at school, it was like, I wanted to look like girls um, because I thought they just were more attractive and that's what the boys wanted. And then now, well, in my twenties, it was more about like comparing myself to female athletes because I wanted to be that female athlete. And that's what I thought I had to look like, especially as a marathoner. And yeah, it is a hard, it's a hard place to be in when you're continually giving your energy to thoughts about other people and not yourself. And I think it's really important that females you know, kind of um, come out of that environment of always continually pinning ourselves up to other people and just investing more into, you know, what works for us. And that's definitely what we're about at FME, is just trying to educate coaches on trying to change the style of communication from, you know, um, telling girls what they need to look like or what they need to, to be changing or doing differently to be a better athlete versus like just working on their strengths and praising them for what they can do really well. And, and focus on building their confidence through those messages instead. So yeah, I think um, we definitely agree with you on that one. On the topic of being a female, um, (laughs) everyone thinks and looks at being a female in a different way. What is being a female to you? What does that mean? And everyone at the moment is saying it's 2021 is the best time to be a female athlete. You know, that there is no better time to be a female athlete. Um, Historically, female athletes have really struggled taking part in sport and I think it's definitely getting better, but let's hope that it's going to get even better from here. What is it like being a world-class female athlete in 2021?
1: I mean, my mind immediately goes to uh, all the controversy at the moment around Um, athletes who aren't born typically biologically female especially in my event the 800 meters we've had a huge amount of press on um, like Casa Semenya and Francine and and I feel like we're finally realizing that like being a woman isn't so straightforward and isn't a real black and white it's not about you know your genitals well, not entirely about like your genitals, and and just like, I mean, even from like I've I've done some reflecting, and I, I wrote a, a, a piece around when I had shaved my head, and in, and that being my first breakout season was when I had like a pretty like intense fade, <laughs> and and um, how I hadn't expected so much um attention and I didn't ever expect how much the hair would really shape the way that people saw me and and for a lot of in a lot of ways like I was seeing myself for the first time because I was seeing it through these media representations and seeing like what this short hair like meant to people and it was um yeah, really interesting, the sort of homophobic and just like, yeah, really like, like, I feel like I had more scrutiny um, on me because I wasn't typically feminine presenting. And, and then also like, now I've got long hair and like, I know I look different to then And, and I have wondered, like, I haven't actually talked about this in public before, but like wondering what had like, whether subconsciously that experience of having the short hair and experiencing that sort of scrutiny like how much that has uh made me more defensive and is this long hair and appearing more pretty and feminine like a way of protecting myself um and I think I think it has in a lot of ways like yeah so I think I think being it like as you say like it is Amazing at the moment, like seeing what's going on with like women's cricket and women's AFL and and all that sort of thing. And I think you know Instagram has been really positive in a lot of ways, even though there's obviously the negatives too. But for female athletes to make a living um, out of out of their sport and being able to hustle and get and get an income uh, and and do the things that they want to do um, without having to you know, work three jobs and, and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting topic being a female athlete and that sort of like balancing the, you know, stereotypically masculine uh, things that come with sport um, and, and balancing that with, you know, the, the societal pressure to be feminine <laughs> and um yeah, and, and the freedom to sort of explore those different sides and, and that sort of thing, where um, while you're still in the public spotlight. It's probably something
0: that I had never really thought about, you know, when I first saw you in the running scene, probably around some similar time to when I first moved to Australia. And, you know, I saw you with your short hair and I just fell in love with you. I thought you were like so badass, you're out there doing your thing with so much confidence not only confidence like that just shone through you, but also through your performances. And like, to me, that is just so inspiring because you're embracing who you are. And it's kind of like that screw you attitude. Like, this is me, this is the real me. And I don't care what people think of me. And then the fact you can back it up with, you know, how fast you are (laughs) is even more
2: badass. (laughs) So yeah, I love that. I love that you shared that with us. Yeah, I definitely felt the same when I moved to Melbourne. I was like, damn, that girl's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so cool yeah you're you're
1: it is so funny because it's like i remember my i was telling someone the other day like i remember my first ever teen um i was world relays in 2019 and it was just after the you know when i was running on my fast times domestically when winning, winning nationals for the first time so i went on this team and i didn't know anyone like i was just had come out of nowhere like i was older i was like 25 like hanging out with like 20-year-olds, like 19-year-olds, um, and I had this short haircut, and I was super shy, and so I would sit by myself in the lunch, like, room, and no one would talk to me, because I looked so intimidating, apparently, um, <laughs> so my my hair and my, like, resting bitch face, and, and like, just being generally quite shy, so I, I didn't really um, start a lot of conversations myself, and yeah it's very very funny and it's sort of like in my head like I was the new weird kid and and then hearing you guys be like oh no she was the cool girl yeah, yeah <laughs> it's scary. scary one yeah. I was like no <laughs> I think being
2: shy as well um as you get misunderstood like I've had people yeah. who were really shy when I first met them and I was like oh like they don't even like me they don't want to talk to me and then it turns out that they, you know you're just shy and then you open up and you know you're so awesome and but yeah it definitely does contribute to how people kind of see you I think being mm-hmm. shy
0: and I think on that um what I find super interesting is as an athlete any athlete you have to be confident in yourself you have to be confident in what you do or else you're never going to be achieving the things you are achieving at the moment and it's really interesting to see a confident male athlete versus a confident female athlete and what people think and how people judge those you know two different genders and and a confident male athlete gets so much praise and encouragement to be that really confident athlete whereas You sometimes, in some instances, you find a confident female athlete and they get seen as being cocky, you know, and they get pulled down because of their confidence. And I think that's something we really want to be able to embrace females to be like, yeah, you're good at what you do. And yeah, I'm good at what I do. And I, and I'm really proud of that. And that's a really good thing because it's got to me to where I am today, you know, and the fact that people didn't want to come talk to you, they probably just thought you were really in their terms, cocky that you're just a confident athlete doing well and people should embrace that. I think we really need to change the way that we perceive female athletes and their confidence because confidence is beauty. And we want to encourage females all over the world of all ages to be confident in who they are because that's I think where the success and happiness comes from
1: yeah and it's yeah it's that's yeah is it, I feel like it's a really um complicated topic because you can you can pull out a lot of different things from that of like yeah like the gender stereotypes and you know um but also like the racial element as well it's like you know we've got these stereotypes for like the confident like African-American athletes who are just like you know strutting around it's like well like that's just you know like what are these biases that we're bringing to this and then you know what you know we're thinking of like I think in the Australian context we love like the cute demure like blonde (laughs) like very white athlete like that's that's what you know is publicly palatable kind of thing and and like I think it's and I mean like I'm biracial and I don't really have any, I don't have very many um, Asian role models in, in sport and um, it's, it's, and I mean, I think like talking about Asian stereotypes, like being um, being being meek and, and sweet and, and taking up not very much space is, is, um, is the most socially acceptable and safe way to behave. And so, yeah, I, I love what you're saying about, yeah, encouraging people, like you've got to really push against this incredible like cultural tie that's like trying to bring us out into like to push us into these um yeah into what 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 it wants us to be and you really got to fight against it It, and it is hard and you are going against um like swimming upstream kind of thing (laughs) so yeah I love that I love that that you're just giving people space to be confident in their own way and whether that's through like the way they behave or the way they look and yeah, well, you,
0: you've just got to keep doing you, Trina. Like, if you want to shave your head, shave your head. And I think you're inspiring yeah. so many young girls. You know, I see yourself and like Naomi Osaka on the same sort of pedestal. You know, you're making change for females and also the Asian community as well. So just embrace who you are.
1: It's beautiful. <laughs> Definitely.
2: Um, we're going to flip uh, switch here a little bit and talk about your mental health battles. So you're obviously such an advocate for mental health and have had your own battles throughout your life. Um, if you're comfortable, can we talk a little bit about what led you there and and how you work through them still to this day?
1: Yeah. So we touched on a bit before, like my, I had a lot of trouble. Um, Well, I don't even like the word trouble. Like I just really during my um, primary school, high school sort of year going through adolescence, like I was an extremely shy, perfectionistic kid. And um, I think the environment that I grew up in probably wasn't <laughs> the best for the, for, for my um, my personality. And I, yeah, I think there was that, I really struggled with the stigma around mental illness. And it's interesting, like, I feel like I was very self-aware. Um, I think a lot of people are quite self-aware. Like, there is a lot of education around there, around what mental illness looks like. And I think if you ask me as a 15-year-old, like, I what's like what do you think's happening it's like I could probably quite easily articulate that I was um had an eating disorder that I was um depressed having anxiety like pretty extreme like social anxiety like um I remember I, I had a really good group of friends um we were like quite a tight group of girls um in high school but I didn't go to parties, I would just be just paralyzed with anxiety, um, like meeting new people and that sort of thing. And I think, um, and, and I I was very, I was very, I was a smart kid. So it's like, I knew, I knew what was happening, but I was extremely private and extremely shy. And I didn't want to ask for help. And a lot of the people around me, they didn't, I, I yeah, I mean, I I don't think because I was, you know, a good runner and I was had friends and I had good grades and that sort of thing. People like my parents were just like, oh, she's just shy. (laughs) Like she'll grow out of it. And and so it was very easy for me to hide what I was going through. Um, But yeah, it was really um, sort of when I went to uni and was away from home and I didn't have any of this sort of a structure that I could hide behind anymore like I was uh living in on res um living in the in the dorms kind of thing at, at UNSW which is I mean a pretty unsafe space for someone like me like in the sense that I was I had a lot of mental health stuff anyway and then mixing that with like sex and alcohol <laughs> um in the first couple of years of, of uni I it really sort of exacerbated things and yeah, my first uh, summer back, I had a really bad period where I struggled a lot with suicidal ideation um, and yeah, I really got to a point where I was like, um, I'm either going to die or like I gotta, I've got i got to do something here. Um, so yeah, I ended up like finally asking for help because it really, I think it just became that breaking point. And I mean, I'm so, I, I'm i so glad I did that because it's like there are so many people who never get to that point and yeah end up taking their own lives and and that sort of thing and um I yeah so that I started seeing a psychologist then and it, and it was hard like I've had especially those years after that like it wasn't just suddenly I saw a psychologist and things got better <laughs> um it was just now I had a few, now I had a professional outlet, so if things got got bad, and they certainly did in the years following that. Um, it wasn't something that would sort of fester inside. Like I had someone that I could reach out to and, um, yeah, started learning how to talk to my friends about it uh, and sort of leaning on on people and, you know, letting people in. Um, and yeah, I think that's really been the biggest takeaway. It's like, I, I'll never be like quote unquote cured of what I am of anxiety. And like, I still struggle with it like all the time, like post Olympics was horrible for me. Like I had a really bad, cause like I underperformed, I didn't achieve the things I wanted. I was completely alone in, in Europe, um, <laughs> like my friends and family couldn't come out to see me and I couldn't come home because there were no flights. Like I was, I was really struggling, um, post Olympics and, uh, but I could talk to my psychologist. Um, and yes, like i just had to really work on these coping and management systems that I uh, built up over the last sort of decade. And, um, so yeah, it's one of, it's one of these things where it's just like, it's it's just so normal like it's just like I I feel like every everyone goes everyone is touched by mental mental illness in some way whether that's themselves or from a family member um and yeah there's I don't think there's such a thing as like being completely like emotionally stable it's like we always have ups and downs like I think like the statistics are are huge that everyone like I think it's like I don't know, I can't remember what the, what they were, but it's I, more than 50% of people will experience mental health, um, you know, down period in their lives, whether that's like losing a loved one, or, you know, just, just the normal things that happen in life, like a breakup, or, you know, um, people experiencing grief, and, or, you know, experiencing, experiencing anxiety, if they've, you know, in a stressful job, or something like that, and so, yeah, it's, it's been, um, I've learned to be really open (laughs) as you can see, I'm talking on a podcast about it. Um, and, um, yeah, just, just, I have a lot of people I can trust and lean on and, and I've learned a lot of management things. I'm still adding more skills, um, in like I've just started taking meditation and mindfulness more seriously. I've really set up a working with my psych to set up a really strong routine there and, yeah it's a continuous work in progress and I know it's going to be hard again but that's okay I'm fine with that I wonder because you talked about
2: your parents before and how they struggled with being open do you think that impacted how you could be open with people about what you were going through
1: I think so um I think um well you know as we get older we always realize that our parents are human beings as well (laughs) they're not not perfect um people and um yeah I think it it definitely impacted me growing up but at the same time it's like I think I I don't know I think at that stage like like I, I didn't really understand a lot of what I was going through and Um, I'm not sure if they had asked me sort of straight up or really pushed me. I don't know how I would have reacted to that. I think I was um, just a very private and closed up person at the time. Um, Yeah, I mean,
0: it seems like you were relatively or quite self-aware as a teenager and the fact that you were able to get help when you knew that you needed it. I think that's incredible. I think yeah, there's a lot of people out there who don't even know that they need the help um and have no one to reach out to from a professional manner. And then if they're not speaking to people in the inner circles, you know, I can totally understand why people feel alone at times. And yeah, I definitely thought about you after the Olympics and because I'd listened to your story through the imperfects with you Van Carlenberg and and I knew you'd had challenges in the past. And I I just couldn't help but sympathize for you and think about the situation you must have been and being alone is is tough and like when you're going through challenges you know in your own personal life and then having that those mental challenges on top of it it, it can be really difficult so mm-hmm. yeah I'm I'm really um like glad that you've got the help around you and the support you need and I think being vulnerable is you know one of the best things that all of us can do because by speaking we're you know being able to work through the challenges with other people but even if it's someone you don't know being able to talk and get it off your chest can help so much so yeah I think I would just encourage everybody out there if you if you are um, struggling or going through you know a tough time just speak speak to anybody just get it out there you know even if it is just journaling and writing it down that can definitely help it's definitely helped me in the past so Mm. I think you know there's a lot of talk around mental health at the moment for men obviously like it's November so we're going through November at the moment which is amazing do you think the challenges are the same or different for females when it comes to mental
1: health? I think there are certainly differences Um, and I think yeah I mean you know going back to what we said before about people who don't you know maybe non-binary people people who are um, transitioning and, and all that kind of thing like it, it really is – there are a lot of different pressures for different genders, and um, I, think, I think there are certainly a lot of overlaps, and I think, um, you know, male or female or non-binary, like, you can – like, we can all support each other, um, like, and we can always find common ground. Um, I think it's, it's interesting – like, I think, you know, it is really great being a female athlete now – in that we are, I think there's a lot more open dialogue about mental health, about our menstrual cycles, that sort of thing, like, like we're, we're just a bit better about talking about it. <laughs> um, and it's interesting seeing, you know, male athletes go through things that, like, a lot of female athletes experience as well, like the pressure to be thin, uh, you know, Yeah, just a lot of the weight, weight sort of management, body shaming sort of stuff that, like, I I see a lot of men experience, and, but they're not being a real precedent of talking about having eating disorders and that sort of thing, and just seeing, you know, a lot of male athletes having really bad bone density and and um, you know hormonal problems, but they don't have a period, so it's not as easy to talk about and. Um, and that sort of thing, like, I, I think it's really – there's a lot of catching up to do in that space for, for male athletes. And, um, like, I think, yeah, we, there's definitely an element of body dysmorphia and disordered relationships to food that both male and female athletes experience. Um, yeah, and, I, and I, I really wish that just, like, we could talk about it. Like, I feel like it does feel like eating disorders in sport is a real – women's thing <laughs> like but it's really not <laughs> like i wish that yeah men and women could both talk about it and instead of like i feel like there's a lot of like condescending sort of things i hear sometimes from male athletes or male coaches and where they're like oh you poor things like oh those poor women have to struggle that sort of stuff and it's like yeah of course we get more body pressure in general society but like i think in in sport Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's comparable. Um, Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot more in common than we think.
2: There's so much pressure in sport to look a certain way. It's hard to pull away from that sometimes. And you're right. We do get a lot more help, I guess, around eating disorders as being female, but it's good. I mean, they've associated reds now, so they've changed the name. It used to be female athlete tried and now it's red. So (laughs) At least it incorporates males as well in that sense. Mm -hmm. But obviously athletics and all high-performing sport is is quite a lot of pressure. Um, Do you think that the battles that you've been through and that you're still dealing with now have helped you in your sport? So they've made you stronger mentally. And I guess you have the tools there to help with potentially anxiety before races or big events like the
1: Olympics, that sort of thing. Yeah I think that's a really great question like I think um, I've always been very conscious of not framing these mental health experiences that I've had as these negative things that have only negatively impacted me it's like you know we've all had you know the three of us like we've had breaks and a lot of that has been because we've had to take a step back because of our mental health and like that's probably been a really good thing for our bodies in the long run, instead of <laughs> just beating ourselves into the ground year after year, and you know, like our bodies that aren't prepared for that. Um, so there's a lot of like silver linings and and that sort of thing. But yeah, like you're saying, of of just being able to be more self-aware, being better at asking for help, being better at you know understanding what you're going through and leaning on these different management tools and and I mean for myself personally like I found being a mental health advocate um gives me a lot of purpose and drive in my career as well like um it gives me you know like a I don't know like it it, it really inspires me to keep performing well is like to be this role model and to be imperfect and um it really keeps me in the sport because I think sometimes I do get a little bit, uh, like disillusioned or I sort of, am like, Oh my God, I'm literally just running circles. <laughs> like, am I really doing anything meaningful with my life? And then it's like, no, I mean, you know, having had these experiences, like it is really important to me to, to keep pursuing this, this excellence and, and, and showing people what, what you can do like as being a very open and complicated person Um, yeah and you know going back to my post-Olympics experience it's like I think I would have really struggled way more than I did like I think it took me a few weeks to process things to the point where I was feeling a lot more like myself again but I think in the past if if I hadn't gone through everything that I had in the last sort of 10 years or so I don't know how long it would have taken me to process that experience. I don't know if I would have had the language for it. I don't know. I certainly wouldn't have had had the the correct people around me to help me process it. And I think I also probably wouldn't have um, understood what my needs were, like why I had such a bad experience Um, and sort of being able to identify what needed to change for my next campaign. You know, like I don't know if I would have changed coaches or I would have um you know changed a bunch of different things in my in my setup and acknowledge that I can't do this traveling by myself thing um and not do it again um instead of just sort of putting my head in the sand and being like okay like I'm not strong enough I'm weak you know like I can completely imagine my 16 year old 15 year old self in that experience going through that experience and thinking like I can't tell anyone what's happened the reasons that I didn't achieve what I wanted was because I'm not good enough. It's like like I, I can really recognize when I'm going down that that path now and and recognize it's like, nope, that's not right. Like <laughs> I am talented, I am worthy, like I I just need to yeah, just keep growing and becoming a better athlete and figuring out what I need to change and um so yeah, I think it's um it's a real privilege
0: in a lot of ways Mm. i really don't like the saying everything happens for a reason but i love the way that you find the silver linings you know i think it's a really special talent and it's something that can benefit everybody by really just trying to focus on the positives and like trying to take those silver linings out of every experience because yeah, I feel like everything you t- you learn from experiences, whether they're good or the bad, is gonna help you in the future. So it's awesome that you did that. I think also going back to your purpose, like when you say just like you're running around a track and you know, maybe it feels like you don't have that purpose because it's just running around the track, but you need to know that you're inspiring so many people through running and through your voice. And I think, you know, as much as I try not to focus too much about my performance or how fast I am or what teams I'm making. I do know that, you know, the better athlete I can become, the louder my voice can become to make changes and help other people. And I think the greatest gift of all is helping others. So you do have a purpose and it's it's making huge changes and helping so many people. So you should be really proud of that. And you're not only a professional runner, but you're a qualified architect as well, which, which we haven't even spoken about yet. But how do you, in your life, you obviously have a lot going on. I know you're not working necessarily at the moment, but you're trying to finish your master's. How do you find that balance and prioritize, you know, keeping a really healthy mind through everything that else that is going on?
1: I mean, I don't think I'm doing it all that well, to be honest. <laughs> um, so I have one semester left with my master's. So that's like yeah, four units, but um, they're really big subjects, like compulsory units. So in architecture um, school, you have this subject called studio, which is um, what replicates you know having a, a project in real life kind of thing. So you're given a brief um, and a site, and then you have to go through that process of you know concept design and then uh just iterations and iterations of the design until you can present a full project um at at the end of the semester and it is incredibly (laughs) time-consuming incredibly emotionally time emotionally draining because it's a creative subject so it's um you're kind of putting your heart out there and um getting torn down week on week at all the crits Um, and um so it has been quite tricky, particularly because of the nature of the degree, to fit it in with my athletics. So I, um, it's been, it's been annoying, <laughs> to be honest. So I started my masters, yeah, when I moved to Melbourne, and that was my sole purpose, really, of moving to Melbourne. I mean, the running was good here as well, which was definitely factored in. But I wasn't thinking about running; like it was about um, becoming an architect. And I think if I knew what was in for me coming for me now as um, as a professional runner, I wouldn't have started the masters. I think I would have put that off until later. But yeah, I think um, I think yeah. So the, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of a lot of learning that I've gone through in terms of balancing these different parts of my life. Um, and um, but yeah, I think it is really important to me. Um, to, to be in touch with the architecture world and and the creative world that that um, is such a big part of who I am. And um, I think it's also really comforting that I can get a job <laughs> in architecture, like, tomorrow. Like, it's, um, if anything, if I get injured, if I, you know, just decide this is not what I want to do anymore, I, I can literally just step off the track right into my career. Um, and I mean the transition won't be that easy, but like practically, that's kind of how it would be. So it's a very sort of com- comforting insurance. Um, and I think talking to a lot of athletes, um, it's a real like privileged position because um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of runners out there, a lot of um, athletes who. Have, haven't gone to uni or have you know are on their 12th year of their first bachelor's kind of thing um, who aren't really sure what they're going to do next um, and that can be really daunting and very um, scary and um, so I think I have a real advantage in some ways um, in some ways there and yeah it's just it's just really grounding and and like I did a subject uh, at the start of this of this year, and, and I, I wrote it and finished off an essay like while I was in um, in Italy, <laughs> competing and and it was really it was really cool like sort of um, being able to especially being in architecture like I have been able to see more buildings and more amazing cities through my running than I would have ever had had I not not being a professional runner like it's it's really interesting like how my running is improving my architecture side of myself as well like in terms of my communication skills like my confidence um and then just the pure ability to travel and see all these different um cities uh it's it's been really really good like because it, it's like it's not only the architecture helping the running it's it's the other way around as well
2: Yeah, wow. I think, yeah, what you said is so important. So many people, especially as they're uh, young athletes, get fixated on like being a runner and that's their identity. But you've just talked about how you've got so many different things outside of running, alongside being a mental health advocate, which is kind of your purpose in the background. And I think it's so important to have things outside of your sport that you can fall back on because, yeah, that is a real issue for a lot of athletes when they sort of quit their sport and they get to the end and they're like, okay, well who am I now and you know that can come with some complications so yeah it's awesome that you're doing that alongside uh, your running Um, but obviously the work that we do at Femi is working with athletes around the menstrual cycle and you touched on how you had an eating disorder when you were younger but just wondered if you've had any issues or disruptions with your hormonal health through your running journey?
1: Yeah it's been I've been tracking my period for about Probably four years now or maybe more than that might even be five and um I found that really interesting like <laughs> I think I realized that my period is like quite irregular and and also just sort of seeing how it's not so much the training that changes it but my stress levels in general like which was surprised me like I thought okay if I'm in these really big training blocks and I'm competing like surely that will affect how regular my period is but it was really the times in uni like when i was having really late nights i wasn't sleeping i wasn't you know i was just yeah it was really the times where i was the most stressed in my life in general that would affect my my um menstrual cycle the most which was really surprising and 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 i mean i also noticed that that was the times where i was most prone to injury um, and not only just like injury in terms of loading base injuries, like bone stress stuff or tearing muscles and things, but I had a, I, I had an experience around October last year where I just fell and sprained my ankle because I was really sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do too much. I was doing like home gym, like this was during lockdown. I was trying to do a big studio subject not sleeping very much and then I was carrying my laptop around like because I was doing my gym sessions remotely with my gym coach on Zoom and um, I was carrying my laptop around to a different part of the house and I ended up falling and like tripping up some stairs in my house and really badly spraining my ankle it took me out for a good two months before I could train properly again and the, the stress of, of the stuff outside of the running was really, I think a significant factor of why, like I fell and it's like all those sorts of things. I didn't really think about, um, how it can affect all kinds of things and and especially the, the menstrual cycle. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. Like it's, my period has become more regular, the more, I sort of professional I've become in in athletics which has been interesting um I think just because I'm prioritizing my recovery my sleep my food and that sort of thing um one interesting thing that I'm actually seeing a doctor about later today is like I've started to get um more extreme cramping and that sort of thing around um like the week before my my period and it's been a thing that I don't know if it's because of just getting older and my hormones changing or my, my training and my, my lifestyle changing, but it's been, or just something that I haven't really noticed before, but um, yeah, it's, it's just like sort of things like that, where it's like, I've been tracking it all as well. So when I see my doctor today, like I'll, I'll talk about that and, you know, start investigating, you know, maybe I have endometriosis or something like that. Like, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I feel like we're very privileged now. Yeah. As female athletes, there is a lot more information about yeah, PCOS and and endo and, and all that sort of thing. And, and, and also like, it was my, it was my physio who's, who's, um, amazing. this amazing woman, um, at the VIS and she was really pushing me, uh, to see the doctor about it just being like, like, you know, it's, it's like, You know, if I'm having really extreme, like cramping, you know, to like a week, you know, for a week, every four or five weeks, it's like that is a lot like across the year being a professional athlete, like having to compromise your training a little bit for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I'm still very much in a learning space (laughs) around uh, working with my cycle. But um, my coach is fantastic my my new coach is fantastic around um all of this like we are very open with discussing my menstrual cycle and um I I track it on my training peaks uh my uh yeah um training log will put down you know when's the first day of my cycle and that sort of thing and so it's it's really yeah sort of interesting um seeing what we can do around that space with a, like I haven't done this with a coach before. Um, And then also just seeing like around competition and race scheduling, uh, that's going to be the next step for us. Like, I think uh, it was interesting this year uh, being more conscious of my cycle and having it fall. (laughs) Like I, for the Oslo Diamond League, it was like day two or something of my cycle and just not really understanding how that was going to affect my race. I think psychologically it was quite um, strange. Um, so yeah, that's a real work in progress, I think, particularly around race scheduling and my period, but also like my period is, an ex- is extremely irregular um, in, in the sense. It's not like I still get maybe like 10 or 11 a year, but um, just if it's going to be day 27 or day 37 it's a bit of a bit of a gamble but it's that's very normal for me so I'm not worried about that um and I think very normal for a lot of athletes to have a big variation but it's regularly irregular yeah yeah well
0: it's awesome that you've been tracking it for so long I think a lot of females not Um, even female athletes just females in general haven't even you know um, known that such a thing as tracking your cycle so I think you know the best thing that females can do is track their cycle because it can tell us so many things about what's going on with our body and our energy input versus energy output and trying to you know know if we need to make some changes so awesome that you've been doing that and you've got all of that information I'm sure that's going to help your coach so much going forwards and the race scheduling thing can be quite difficult especially you know you can't obviously control what date the races are going to be falling on but there's are things that you can do to allow your body to be in the best possible position it can be on that day for you to allow you to perform and I think this um, psychological part of it can be really difficult but I think understanding you know there are things you can control and there are things you can't control and I think knowing you know day two for some females is a really good time to perform so although you have a period that day and that might be a slight inconvenience that you might need to go to the bathroom more often your hormones might really be in your favor so being able to you know when I get my period I'm like yes like because I know and I'm very lucky and very grateful that I feel pretty good when I've got my period um, I can actually train really hard or if I had to race if I when I had my period I'd be actually pretty happy about it versus the week before that when so I would be stressing out <laughs> so um it's awesome that you're doing that I think you you obviously come across as really confident mentally um do you think that that comes from understanding your body and obviously like learning a lot through tracking your menstrual cycle do you think understanding your body and mind has helped you as a female athlete
1: I think so for sure and I think also like I think my confidence comes a lot from having a really good team like I think like I get my skin folds done regularly. I see my dietitian very regularly and, you know, see my strength coach and, and stuff and just being able to delegate this sort of thing to other people has been huge for me. Cause I think if I, I think in the past, before I got to this point um, being you know, very privileged, having access to so many professionals that I can see whenever I like, um, I was taking a lot of, a lot of that responsibility onto myself. And it'd be like, I might be, you know, a bit heavier in the winter season kind of thing. And I would really fixate on that and, and be like, Oh, my God, like I think I got to, maybe I should be a bit lighter. I don't know. Like, and sort of really wondering a lot, but now I can just be like, I I don't, it's not my, like, I don't, I'm not in charge of that. Like, this is what well, my diet, this is why I have a dietitian. Like <laughs> I'll go and get my skin falls done. And if she says, it's fine. Then I don't think about it again. And then I just follow the plan and I can just be like, you know, just focus on, on the program that I've, that want these really trusted people have, you know, with lots more degrees than I do <laughs> in these fields. I, like, I can just trust that this program is, is, is the one for me, and. um yeah and 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 of course like having had being able to track for a long time like i can give these professionals a lot higher quality information i suppose so like the feedback that i give um my dietitian if i'm like you know this is like i'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable at this point it's like maybe we can lighten things before the um the you know next major kind of thing and then and then her being like, all right, I will look after that. Like, you don't have to worry about, like, trying to diet or something by myself where it's like, she will just set the plan out and then I'll follow the plan. And it just takes away all that sort of emotional labor and cognitive labor. Um, and and also, like, I'm following a professional's advice instead of me. I'm a show who knows nothing about medical <laughs> things. Um so yeah, it's 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 that it's a combination of a lot of things that, that gives me that sort of confidence in in my process. Yeah, that that must
2: be super helpful. I think, yeah, a lot of those things could cause a lot of stress, and you're already under stress to perform, and you know, putting that pressure on yourself as well. So having those people to take that away, I'm sure, makes things a little bit easier. Um, all right, well, we're going to wrap it up pretty soon, but we've got two quick fire questions for you. So, number one, if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be?
1: Well, I think it's just a hard one because it's like, would I listen to an older version of myself? <laughs> I don't think I would. <laughs> but if if the younger version of me was a little bit uh, more obedient, um, I think um, just just really getting myself to be nicer to myself when I was younger. I was so horrible to the young version of me um yeah young me was very unkind to young me um I think I think I really just wanted to would really really want I feel like I don't think there was if there was something I could change rather than like you know give advice because I don't think my young self would appreciate it but like I think if I could change anything it would be just letting myself be a bit more compassionate to myself just that self-compassion thing like yeah I really struggled with that when I was little I think um
0: yeah I think a lot of young girls are really hard on themselves and yeah I think we all need to give ourselves a bit of a break young and old <laughs> and the last quick fire question for you which we have kind of touched on throughout the podcast what is your purpose on mother earth hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think it's to help other people I I think you know like yeah, you, I think what you guys are doing with with Femi and everything, like it's at the core of it is is like that passion for for helping other others and um and how how much good that does for ourselves as well, how much that makes me feel um I, yeah I that, that I have a, a reason to to do anything um is to is to help others and, and share that, that those connections, um, to, to those people. I think also just like to have a bit of fun. Like I, I feel like I've been working my psych a lot about, you know, sport, sport is fun. Like it's like, it's a game, you know? And, you know, when you start playing, when you start um, playing sports when you're you're a kid, it's for, for fun. And like, so I think, I think it's a, it's a combination of those things. It's like helping others. And I mean, that can take the form of just like using sport as a way to bring joy in people's lives. And, and, and I think like sport can be so deadly serious when you're, you know, at this level in particular, but it's like, I just really want to, yeah, have, have people having that, that joy in their lives and that, and that fun and that competition and, all those good things that sport brings like I think that's a real way of fulfilling that purpose of, of helping other people and 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 I guess that's just the way it can manifest in in, in my uh, my profession. I love that Trina it's so special I think you definitely
0: have an innate power to help others I think we can see that shining from you so I don't think you need to worry about trying to chase that purpose I think it comes pretty naturally for you. Oh thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like we could have um, kept speaking all day to you. I really enjoyed this conversation. Now
1: I more about your like training plans and stuff, but we can say that. We can for... speak
0: more about that for sure.
1: We've, um, <laughs> we like just I appreciate your time. Running chat, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I think, um, I think the listeners would have really loved this conversation. We're going to have to bring you back at some point. I think there's so much more we could talk to you about. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. We can't wait to share this with everybody. And, you you know, we wish you all the best with your training in the future. And we can't wait to see you on the track over summer. Oh,
1: thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the FemiPod. I'm sure you all took a lot away from this conversation with Katrina Bissett. Stay tuned for next week's episode, but in the meantime, if you're in training for the Nike Melbourne Marathon, join us on Facebook with our Femi Nike Melbourne Marathon group, which is in our show notes, and stay up to date with us on Instagram at femi.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week.